housekeeping thing first so next Sunday we are doing a trunk or treat but we are doing it here at the high school one of our focus for the uh focus points for the next year is to try to reach the mission field that we are in. So St. Paul and Faith are going to work with us here at the high school for Trunk or Treat. And so next Sunday from 4 to 6, we would love for you to consider bringing your trunk, and that was hilarious on the video, uh, full of candy so that we can serve children here in our local area. Invite your friends. It's a Facebook event, so share that with folks. And uh, we look forward to having a really good uh, good time next Sunday. So today we are talking about skeletons in the closet, continuing in this message series. And I think lots of times when we think about skeletons in our closet, we think about something that happened, you know, like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, for some of us like 30 years ago, maybe even 40 years ago. But what about yesterday? Or what about like two weeks ago? At times in our lives, we all live in seasons where we where we screw up. And none of us, not a single person in this auditorium or worshiping with us online or listening to this via podcast, not a single one of us is above being a screw-up at some point in our life. So this morning, we're going to talk about what faith has to do with that, what Jesus did with it. It's a powerful story. It's another one of just a favorite Bible stories that gives us just a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. So I'm so glad that you are here with us today. This morning, we're going to just jump right into Scripture, and normally I set it up and we talk about different things, but this morning, there's two stories that I want to tell you. The first is by this guy named the Apostle Paul, and he was writing to the church in Corinth. Now, this is a church that he founded. He was a big wig in church world. He was like the man. He uh, fell in love with a resurrected Jesus. He encountered Jesus. He was like one of the king of the screw-ups in the New Testament, and he was, you know, persecuting Christians, people that were following Jesus, and then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he was forever changed. He was blinded by the light, and then he he was able to see, and it's just a powerful story. So then he was so in love with God and on fire with his faith, he started planting all these churches, these Christian churches, and then they got a little screwed up because churches are made up of people. If anybody ever says to you that they don't want to be a part of a church because it's full of hypocrites, say, yes, it is. Yeah. And every church that you ever go to is full of hypocrites, and you and I are hypocrites too because we all screw up. Church should be full of that because it's also a place of redemption and it's a place of forgiveness and it's a place of love. So that, to me, is sort of a lame excuse of avoiding church because humanity, uh, we're, we're just a bunch of messed up people. 
Perry Noble is the former pastor of New Spring Church in South Carolina. They had like a million campuses. I mean, he ranks up there with Stephen Furtick. We're familiar with Elevation Church around here. New Spring and Elevation sort of ran and run in the same circles. And Perry Noble has such a powerful testimony that I was listening to. He uh, experienced some ministry burnout and started doing some things like with alcohol and stuff that were just a little, a little too much. And his church asked him and he agreed. It was like a consensus to step down from the pulpit. And he was like the founding pastor, a, a really like megastar in preacher world. I heard him give this message about uh, fear of your past mistakes. And actually, his message, I'm not plagiarizing it, but it inspired me because it was so powerful. And he talks about how the church, the church made up of people, is, is a little jacked up. That's his phrase. I loved it. The church is, is jacked up because it's full of jacked up people. Well, Paul encountered the exact same thing because you see the nature of humanity has been the same from the beginning till now. And so he wrote them a letter. They did not have texting or social media. So he sat down and he wrote them the letter. This letter is in the second book of Corinthians. And he's like got this whole thought process going. He's talking to them about life and faith. And all of a sudden he like changes his thought pattern to say this. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone, and that puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. And listen to what kind of life. A resurrection life, and resurrection means new, right? Not resuscitated, not something that's brought back from the dead, but resurrection means new. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could be included in this life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people have ever lived on their own. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center, and listen again to this next phrase and, and think about how many times he says this one word repeatedly. You'll, you'll catch it. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could be included in his life. You know the Greek word for everyone, you know what it means there, actually? Everyone. It's powerful. Even uh, a non-Greek scholar can tell you that. But really, if you dig into the Greek there and you study what it means, everyone means everyone. There were no qualifiers. There, were, there was not a list of like really good people, very good people, average people, less than average people, and then you suck people. There was not like this continuum. Like when we do, you know, uh, evaluations or, or something like that, you know, there's a, there's a scale and you're top or bottom or in the middle. Everyone meant everyone. It didn't matter what skeletons you had in your closet. Everyone meant everyone, and the church in Corinth couldn't get it. Uh, they had started really screwing up. You know, one of the things that they did, this is hilarious to me, and we're going to celebrate communion next Sunday, not this Sunday. I'm really glad it wasn't this Sunday because of the story. But they were getting drunk at communion. 
Like, they were wasted after communion. That's probably not a good thing since, like, communion was, you know, to think about Jesus and to experience the, the presence of the resurrected God in that holy and sacred moment. So getting drunk then is probably not a good thing, actually, ever. So, you know, they were getting drunk on communion. And Paul's like, hello, no, you're missing it. You're missing it. And, and they had argued. They had so much stuff going on. And, and, you know, he talks about women keep silent. Well, that's because there were a bunch of busybody women in the church, and they were stirring up all kinds of crap. It's not because he was trying to set a hierarchy order of gender. He was saying, hey, ladies, stop. You're messing stuff up. So this is a jacked-up church, okay? And he's, he's writing this letter to them. And then he's like, okay, let's focus. Let's focus. What do we need to focus on? Let's focus on the main thing. Let's focus on Jesus. And he came, and there's no condemnation. If you read the other interpretations of this passage, this is the message. It's a modern-day version. But if you read, like, the New Revised Standard Version or something like that, you're going to find the word condemnation. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. None. Not a bit. Everyone, 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 everyone is made new and given a new life far greater than anything we could ever, ever imagine. Uh, Perry Noble had a powerful quote. I want to show you that quote on the screen. If you don't let your past die, it will not let you live. If you don't let your past die, it won't let you live. I can't imagine what it would feel like to be like a rock star preacher and launch like one of the biggest, fastest growing churches in the United States and go places and speak at these national conferences like Andy Stanley and that kind of stuff and with with him and Furtick and then lose it all. I can't imagine what that felt like. The really powerful thing I think is now like Uh, He's preaching again and and starting a new church. Isn't that the beauty of redemption? If you Google him and you read some of the stuff that people say to him, man, I'm like, wow, we really look like Jesus, right? Not. But then there's a lot of people offering him grace and love. His story is inspirational, and his point is so valid. If we don't let our past die, if we don't let our skeletons be be done and be buried and gone, then they are not going to let us live. Why is it that we can't let that happen? Why can't we let go of the skeletons that we have in our closet or the ones that are hanging on our back or the ones that are right beside us all the time or maybe even the ones that are in front of us that we push along? We've all got skeletons. We've all got stuff. Why can't we let it go? Because, you see, we know who we really are. We can try to put out this persona. We can try to act like it's all good and like we've got all our stuff together. But guess what? In our souls, we know what we really think. We know the judgment we offer other people in our minds. And we know our own junk that we do when other people aren't looking We all know our own stuff. And we let that be what we see. Instead of the grace 
and the beauty of redemption in Christ Jesus. We focus on our dents. So back in May, our son graduated from college in Ithaca, New York. He wanted a southern graduation party. Now, he has gone the gamut of not eating any meat to being vegan to being something I don't know how to pronounce it. And then all of a sudden for his graduation, he is full-on meat eater. And he wanted a southern party with pork, like barbecue, like southern barbecue and baked beans and slaw and hush puppies or cornbread. I'm like, dude, I don't cook that on a good day at home. I don't know how you want me to do that in Ithaca, New York in a park. But he's my boy, and I'll do about anything for him. So I was going to drive my little car. I like my little car. I know it is a first-world, rich, girl, snobby thing. So that's my sin. I'll confess that right now. But I like my little car. I drove a big car forever with children. I love my little car. I wanted to drive that little car to Ithaca, New York with all the serving, chafing trays and all that kind of stuff, I was stacking stuff in the trunk to prove to Scott and Lane that it could be done. We could take party supplies to Ithaca, New York in a Ford Mustang. They convinced me that we couldn't, and they were right. The back of Scott's truck was piled full. Now, he, who is not here today, so I can talk about him, uh, got, love you dear online, uh, got the best end of this deal. He got to fly to Ithaca. And swoop in, like hours before the party. Lane and I drove up days before rented a house, and then I cooked. And again, that's not one of my gifts. And so, you know, like quinoa and all this kind of stuff. Again, I told you I don't know how to pronounce it. And pork, and Pat Benfield was saved the day. And it was just, it was like the most stressful time in a while, trying to get food for 60 people ready in Ithaca with a house and all this kind of stuff that I didn't know and didn't have pots and pans. It was crazy. I was a little stressed. Now, I'm telling you all those details to tell you that what I'm getting ready to confess to you, you need to know that there was a lot of stress in my life, and that is why I did what I did. (laughs) The day of the party, remember, Scott's not there yet. I left Lane at the house cooking cornbread or something and ran to Walmart. Now, I have Scott's big F-150 four-door cab mess, and I drive it to Walmart. I am not a good parker in a tiny Mustang. So I drove the truck, and I knew I was limited on time. So I parked near the buggy thing because I knew I was going to jump out, get a buggy, run in, get the stuff, get back to the house, and get the party ready. Did all that. Come back out put the stuff in the back of the truck, put the buggy up, and get in the truck to go. Now, he has one of those camera things. I put it in drive to go forward. There were some metal sounds that I wasn't quite sure what they were coming from. Screeching metal. Now, there was nothing in front of me. So I had no idea why I was making large metal sounds. So with the logic that sometimes I exercise, I kept going. It didn't stop. Let me pause and just say that this is Scott's new truck. He had only had it for a a year or two, um, and he drove the last one until it had like over 250,000 miles or something obscene. So he really liked this truck. I finally stopped because the metal sound didn't. 
got out, and you know how at Walmart those buggy things are not rooted to the ground? Somehow, and I don't know how, I had gotten the wheel well on top of that buggy thing. And it was caught underneath the wheel well. Now, I didn't really know what to do at this point. Walking back in Walmart was not an option. So I put it in reverse, and I drove back, and sure enough, as luck would have it, the buggy thing came out from underneath the truck. Now, by this time, it is at a perpendicular angle to where it had, that's how far I drove. I didn't know what to do. I looked at the buggy thing. It looked fine. I looked at Scott's truck. Didn't look fine. So I left and went back to the house. We only had like four hours before this party was supposed to happen at a park. I didn't think that was a good time to tell Scott Smith, hey, by the way, I have like messed up your truck. It's in the wheel well. I sent a picture to a friend and said, how bad does this dent look? She's like, well, it's not too bad. I said, okay, good. Then I'll tell him later. You know, the next day was graduation. The next day was drive back to uh, North Carolina. The next day was Memorial Day, blah, blah, blah. So um, the next day later never really came. And then, because I almost stressed him out when he was back at work for the end of the year. I'm selfless like that. Um, <laughs> it came time for, you know, well, life is happening, and the Ford people call. Now, this has never happened. They wanted to buy back Scott's truck. They had a shortage on used F-150s with mileage underneath a certain amount, and they would give him exactly what he owed, and he wouldn't have to incur more debt to trade it for a new one. Who would not do that, right? I would want them to call about my car. And um, he came in. He was so excited. He's like, guess what? The Ford people called, blah, 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 blah. And my heart fell. I decided that was not a good time to tell him. I thought I had some time. I think I was getting ready to go to the beach or something, so it was not a good time. Before, like, I got back from annual conference and stuff, he had already gone to the Ford place. When he told me that that night, I was like, oh, dear. We were going out to eat, and we walked around to the truck, and this had happened multiple times in this time When I would ride in his truck, every time I'd look on that side, guess what I'd see? My screw-up and the dents. When the Ford people called and he took it in, I'm sure they saw them. I mean, really. I don't guess they ever told him. That night, after they had already given him the, you know, paperwork for the new truck and all that kind of stuff, I said, hey, I got a story for you. (laughs) And so I told him the story about how I moved the buggy thing in Walmart parking lot and all the buggies, and it was perpendicular to the truck and all that kind of stuff. Lane didn't know it either, so we had a good laugh. Then I got a little lecture, but it was okay. It was well-deserved. Now, I told you that very long-winded story to tell you. We all have dents. We all create dents. 
we have dents in ourselves that are created by other people. Some are accidental and some are intentional. But we all have dents. We can't experience the beauty and the grace and the redemption of God's love because we are too busy noticing our dents. Now, I made it sound like it didn't bother me that I totally messed up, Scott struck, but it did. I mean, there would be days I'd be like, okay, tonight I've got to tell him, I've got to tell him. There'd be some excuse or some reason. He never knew. God knows our stuff. God knows our dents. I want to tell you this other story from Scripture, and it is so beautiful. I asked Drake Smith if he would help me tell this story this morning so you could see the power of the story. So, Drake, will you come up? He has no idea what he's gotten himself into this morning, uh, so thank you for being willing to do that. While Drake's coming up, I want you to hear this story. Jesus went across to the Mount of Olives. This is from John 8. But he was soon back in the temple again, and it's important to note that he was in the temple Swarms of people came to him, so he sat down and he taught them. Now the religion scholars and the Pharisees, and remember the Pharisees were the keepers of the law, they led in a woman who had been caught in an act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Now I've always wondered, where is whoever she was having sex with? Because really, I mean, there were two people. But it's just the woman. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such people. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you go first. You throw the first stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. And the woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her, Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way, and from now on, don't sin. I want you to understand how bad this was. It says they caught her in the act. Not there was rumor, not a private investigator sent some pictures. They, like, caught her in the act, got her, brought her to Jesus. In the temple. Drake, come here for a second. So, because there's a difference in gender between Jesus and me, I asked Drake if he would come and he would kneel on the ground. So if you'll just face the people and, and kneel. And I'm far from Jesus. <laughs> Drake said he's far from Jesus. Well, we all are, so we're, it's all good. So Drake represents Christ in this story. Think about the posture Jesus took with that woman. Think about the posture he took. It could have been 
anything. He could have sat down beside her. He could have stood over her. She was standing there, probably manhandled as they brought her into the temple because they were so angry and they wanted to trick him because who's he loving? He's loving all the messed up, jacked up people. And so they bring her in there and he's sitting down teaching. And then what does he do? He kneels. He kneels down on the ground and the woman, the sinner, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, stands beside him. Who's the humble one in the image? It was Jesus. He knelt down on purpose because that's the kind of God that loves us. He knelt and he wrote in the dirt. And she stood there and looked in his eyes. He knelt. And just like he knelt for her, he kneels for me and you. Thank you, Drake. There's something else in that story that's really important that's not in the passage of Scripture. But when they talk about the temple, the floor of the temple, yeah, it would have had dirt and sand or whatever because they did not have Roomba. But underneath would have been stone. Beautiful stone. Because, I mean, the temple, right? It's their holy place. It's a big deal. So when Jesus got down on the ground and he wrote in the stone, guess what? He was rewriting what was written in the stone back in the Mosaic law, the Levitical law, Moses, you know, those whole ten big commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. That was written on stone, right? By God to Moses. And the Pharisees, the religious people, were trying to use that to keep her away from God's love. Jesus wrote on the stone. He wrote in the dirt, but he also wrote on the stone, and he said, I'm not going to condemn you. And if I'm not, all of you who think you are so good, maybe you shouldn't either. Can you imagine what it must have felt like for her to feel that love that day? Jesus. Everybody's crowd swarmed to him. Jesus knelt down in front of her. When Andrew was three and Lane was one, Scott was out of town and got the worst stomach bug ever. If you've ever had the stomach bug, and if you are having a snack right now, it's probably not a good time. Um, It was nasty. He was out of town. Some friends of ours took Lane, and it was just me and Andrew. He had the stomach bug, too. It was nasty. His bedroom was upstairs. In the middle of the night, I heard him cry out, Mommy, I need you. Now, I don't do throw up at all. When I taught school for three years before I went into ministry, if a child was sick, they knew you had to get somebody else in Miss Smith's classroom because she's not going to be in there. She will be outside or I'm a sympathetic throw-upper. If you throw up, I'm going to throw up too, and I'm not kidding at all. 
the smell, the, the mm, not good. Probably would now if I keep talking about it. Um, <laughs> Andrew called me and needed me to come up there. He was three years old. He'd made his way into the bathroom, bless his heart. But a guest was a little confused in the middle of the night about where it all needed to go. He had opened up the cabinet <laughs> and threw up in the cabinet in the bathroom. It was all over him. It was all over the floor. When I walked in, I was like, oh. Keep in mind, I've got the virus too. And then he just started to cry. Now listen. That'll melt your heart. I don't care, care how averse you are to the other things. I imagine the woman cried that day. I can't imagine being caught in something that you're probably not proud of to start with and being drugged before the people, being drugged before this amazing man. She probably cried. And what did Jesus do? He knelt. In that moment that Andrew cried, I just hugged him. I didn't care. That's how much I loved him. He's messy. He was messy. I'm messy. You're messy. We're all messy. The woman that day, she was so messy. But God loves us so much that we have a Savior who kneels down before us and says, I'm not going to condemn you. Go. Sin no more. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for being a God who loves us in our sin. And whatever skeletons it is that we are carrying around, uh, if you just help us get rid of them so that our past does not define our future, let us live fully as you would have us to live. And God, let us experience the freedom that comes in your amazing love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in just a minute outside in the commons area, you're going to see some people dressed like vampires. It is not an early start on Halloween. Uh, we really want to make a difference with hurricane recovery. And so our blood drive, we believe, will do that. And that's going to be in two weeks on a Sunday morning. So you can come to church and give blood and make a difference in the lives of those who have been impacted by the hurricane. So go sign up this morning to give blood and get your time slot for that. That's going to happen in a few weeks. We all have dents. We all mess up. Now, maybe you don't back into or whatever in the world I did and put the whole buggy thing underneath Scott's truck. I still don't know how I did that, and that's how sin is sometimes. We get caught in things, and we don't even know we're caught in them till we're in them. But we have a God that loves us despite our dents. And in that God, the dents are taken away. Go and get rid of the skeletons that are in your closet. Amen.